Hey everyone, this is Ben Burr. I'm here with episode 34 of the Defend Your Ground podcast by the Blue Ribbon Coalition. I'm joined today by Simone Griffin, who is our policy director, and we also have a guest. Uh, today we have Will Harris. He's joining us from California. He is, we will let him describe his background, but he's been involved in some significant work that's determining a lot of the important outcomes that we're seeing in Oceano Dunes and some of the legal fights that are happening there, some of the policy discussions that are happening there. Uh, for anyone who's been paying attention to off-road advocacy and potential closures in the last decade knows that Oceano Dunes is one of the hot spots and everyone's concerned about this one. We want this area to stay open. It's one of the last few areas where you can go participate in motorized recreation in a beach setting in California. It's an area that's beloved by all the locals and visitors who go there. We know it brings hundreds of millions of dollars of economic activity to San Luis Obispo County. And so we support everyone who's fighting to keep this open. We consider ourselves allies in that fight. We know that others are leading that fight, and we're very impressed with the work they've done. And I don't think they wouldn't have been successful as they have been without the work of Will. So, Will, why don't you introduce yourself and let our listeners know who you are and your background, and then let's talk about dust and PM10 studies and the Scripps Institute and ocean and plankton and all kinds of fun stuff. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Ben, and thank you, Simone. Uh, again, my name is Will Harris. Um, I am a geologist by training and education. I'm a professional geologist in California, a certified engineering geologist, uh, in, and a hydrogeologist. Um, and I want to say first that the reason I'm on your show is primarily because I am concerned with the waste of uh, $25.2 million in public uh, dollars and counting. And so I am speaking to you as a member of the public, although I do uh, work for the state of California. Um, I'm not speaking on their behalf. I'm speaking on my own behalf. Um, I have worked with the California State Parks under contract uh, since 2008 on Oceana Dunes related issues. Um, and uh, that contract ended in 2022. And um, that, that, that work initiated when um, the local air pollution control district uh, down in San Luis Obispo County contacted State Parks and said, hey, we have uh, a study we're going to undertake to look at a particular pollution that is downwind of Oceana Dunes. That's easterly of Oceana Dunes. And we'd like to make sure you're involved with it. And State Parks, um, knowing that I was a geologist, asked me to join along. Um, but uh, as that study developed, um, it was clear that the Air District had their own uh, ideas about what they wanted to, who they wanted to assign blame um, for the particular pollution. And um, we ended up uh, discontinuing that partnership and they came out with their own report. Right. So let's talk about the air quality. Is it the air quality control board? Am I getting the acronym or the name right? Yeah. So the, the, the entity that is charged with air quality uh, is the San Luis Obispo County Air Pollution Control District. And the state has a variety of di districts uh, that are local air districts charged with ensuring that the air quality in their region is um, healthy or remains healthy and they monitor the air quality. And do, so that's, do all ahead. regions kind of have the same standard or are you guys, is it a statewide standard or do they adjust that for each region? So they look at a variety of constituents uh, in air to uh, ascertain air quality. It depends on uh, what specifically they might be uh, examining, but they look at anything from particulate pollution to ozone uh, that's not my specific area of expertise, though I did have learned a lot about particulate pollution and PM10 and PM2.5. And when I say PM, I mean particulate matter. It means that it's airborne, uh, and you can think of 10 as a diameter of 10 microns. That's just a very small speck. Yeah. Um, and how did they examine that? 
So there are monitors that they use called BAM monitors, the beta attenuation monitor. And uh, that is something that samples the air hourly um, for airborne particulate. Uh, and then it measures that as a concentration uh, of particles suspended within a cubic meter of air collected over an hour's time. Okay, and, and they just have that right on the beach? No, they have that. Uh, those monitors are set up regionally depending on the air district. In the case of, of um, San Luis Obispo County Air Pollution Control District, or SLO APCD, they have several monitors set up throughout the county, and there are two monitors that they've had set up uh, for quite some time that are downwind of Oceano Dunes. And the reason they were originally set up is because there was an oil refinery uh, uh, in the in the area um, that uh, they wanted to monitor. Um, so that, that's why those monitors were set up there originally. And then they started examining air quality um, and realizing that the particulate matter itself, the PM10 and the PM2.5, that they were measuring was high and it was not related to the uh, oil refinery that was there. And so they started wondering why that was. Right. And so, okay, so that sets a good background. And so I want to talk a little bit about this standard, though, of the PM10, because yes. this is something that I think gets highlighted in your report and starts to really get to the heart of what kind of science are we actually doing here? Why do we have a geologist here in the first place? Because um, as you said, I mean, this isn't quite your area of expertise, but one thing they were looking at was the dust levels, so the dirt. And so dirt is just really, 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 really small rocks. And so that is the province of a geologist. And But there are a lot of things that measure out at that same... I mean, they're basically saying if something is this size, it's potentially a dangerous pollutant and bad. And so we're going to control for all things this size even though all of those things might not actually be toxins or contaminant or something that actually is causing harm or injury. Because let's be honest, we live in a pretty dynamic environment on this planet. There are all kinds of things naturally occurring out in an environment that are that just are there. It's part of us living on a planet like this is to adapt and be part of that as well. And sometimes those things can be bad and hurt us. Sometimes they're just there. Um, so talk to us about the PM10 standard. Is that uh, is that just like you have to measure something and that's a way to create a standard and so that's what we're going to measure? Or because that's so why don't you talk about that? Help us understand PM10 sure. as if like I no I've never heard this before in my life. Sure, happy to. Um, and it is confusing. And if your eyes, if you feel like your eyes are glazing over, just interrupt me. Um, I will try to uh, uh, keep this interesting. The PM10, the particulate matter that's 10 microns or less in diameter, PM10 is a generic term and it's a generic measurement. PM could be anything from little bits of soil and rock, aka dust. Um, it can be water droplets. It can be sea salt in the air. It can be smoke. It can be a variety of things. And the monitors that are used, the instruments that are used to monitor PM10 are, the, the, the accessibility of them and the use of them is, is, for lack of a better term, fairly handy. And PM10 itself, a measurement of it, has worked as a surrogate um, for constituents of concern that might be suspended in the air. So for example, in the inner city or near a rail yard, you would measure PM10, but primarily you're concerned about particles of carbon that are suspended, black carbon that would be su su suspended in the air. Okay. So surrogate, a surrogate measure would be simply the measurement of PM10 without having to analyze for carbon. Um, but as I said, PM10 is generic and you can absolutely measure water droplets, absolutely measure particles of sea salt and um, that would register as PM10. And that's critical. Um, now, when I mentioned the Air District and uh, when they came out with their phase two report and they started to blame state parks for 
of high particulate matter detected downwind of Oceana dunes, they were blaming everything on the sand dunes. And initially they were blaming various causes of uh, why the sand dunes were, were contributing or causing the high PM10 measurements uh, on the Nepomo Mesa. Um, but at the root of it was that they were saying everything in the PM10 is dust from the dunes. That is little bits of rock and soil. Uh, just that's what they were saying. Right. And so to be clear, I mean, this was this was like the moment of conflict, right? Was they ascertained that there were high enough levels of PM10 that the county, the district itself was out of attainment of their standards of what they needed to have to say we have healthy air quality here. And so once they realized they were out of attainment, they started looking around for the bad guy. Like, who's the culprit? What's causing this? And they and the state parks became the target, right? They looked at the dunes and said, well, we know that all the dust pollution is coming from that direction and there's a sand dune there. And so we're going to assume it's just dust from there and that's the cause of this. And that was an assumption that came became hard-coded into all the analysis of this is what it felt like. And there was kind of an agenda underlying it. If you talk to folks in the off-road community, I mean, we've done advocacy in places like Moab and others. And in Moab, they're really concerned about noise. And so we've gone through these same rounds where we've done all these studies on noise and noise ambient levels and all these things about how noise is impacting whatever it's impacting. And dust became the culprit here in Oceano Dunes. I've been involved in a similar fight in the coral pink sand dunes and an endangered species was the was the tool of inquiry there of what we wanted to find out what was going on and so so they start from the assumption of saying hey this is dust it's all dust they look at their data and then this is another thing i like pointing out in the science because a lot of times we our culture really likes to worship the idea that science is infallible and that it's not built on this shaky foundation of uncertainty, which I think isn't actually, I think it's actually a good foundation to be built on uncertainty. You don't know. You're trying to find out the truth. But the thing that I think has given our scientists a really a sense of confidence that they maybe haven't earned is when they start modeling things based on assumptions and so can you explain what happened here once they kind of made these assumptions? How did they reach the conclusion they reached? Because eventually that did lead to them creating all kinds of enforcement measures and uh, mitigation measures that were costly. That When you talk about them spending $25 million, it was all based off of some of these, what I understand were assumptions that got fed into models that then told them a story they wanted to hear and... And then the rest was kind of history until you came along with some alternative ways of looking at it. So let's make that part of the story really clear to people. Sure. Um, okay. First, I, I did. I I failed to mention that the state standard for PM10 is 50 micrograms per cubic meter, and the federal standard is 150 micrograms per cubic meter of air. So. That's, again, the glazing over the eyes portion of this. But that's California. Um, I mean, they've doubled down on everything that the federal government's done and yes, made it even more restrictive. By two-thirds, they've lowered it. Um, and uh, that's measured over a 24-hour period. And I won't go into t- detail on that, but I will say that, uh, yeah, the, the, the Air District basically said, beginning in 2010, we're blaming everything, uh, the high... PM10 that's measured on the Napoma Mesa, which is about one and a half, two miles downwind of Oceano Dunes, we're blaming that high PM10 on the OHV activity and the way State Parks has managed the OHV park. Um, now, I should say that the the uh, the high PM10 that's measured, it's measured predominantly in the afternoon and predominantly in the spring and in the fall, and that coincides with high prevailing winds. And so it's a very, it's very much wind driven. Um, And 
when the air district started to blame state state parks and OHV recreation, that's when I really started to crack my head, saying, "Well, how could this park that's only um, at that time it was fifteen hundred acres of OHV recreation, um, now it's down to about seven hundred acres." Um, but at that time, they were saying, well, it's all coming from the Oceana Dunes Park and the sand dunes there. And I just thought, this is crazy because that couldn't be the only source of PM10, given all the sand dunes that are there. But this, the Air District told a lot of stories that made sense, a certain kind of sense to the layperson. And this is where you're, you're kind of playing science off the layperson and, and assumptions are made that sound reasonable. So for instance, uh, the Air District said, well, um, initially when they first started Blank State Park, they said, well, you know, it's, it's the off-highway vehicles that are kicking up the dust. And when it's a busy weekend um, that's where there's a lot of OHVs out there, we're, we think that there's more PM10 measured on the Mesa. And we looked at that and we found that that was not true. And that was, that was disproven. And they also said, well, there's a crust on the dunes, and they equated the crust to a desert salt flat, like Owens Lake, yeah. or, or think of Bonneville. And they said, well, you know, the, the vehicles break a crust, and once the crust is broken by the vehicles, that a fi the fine particulate that's underneath is exposed to the wind, and then that's lofted to the mesa, and that creates PM10. That, of course, geologically is absurd, and so we disproved that. And they continued to make assumptions like that. They also made a really blatant, horrible assumption in, that was ultimately very wrong. But they, they tried to create an even worse health concern by stating that the particulate pollution was not just PM10, that generic term I talked about, but that the because the the dust is coming or the PM10 is coming from the sand, they reasoned well the sand is mostly particles of quartz, which is silica. Mm -hmm. um, SiO2, um, and they said, well, because it's silica that is being blown uh, up to the mesa, that, that means the PM10 is predominantly silica. And that went from a general health concern about high PM10 to an acute health concern where they said, oh my gosh, it's there's silica in the dust, in the air, in the PM10 on the mesa, there's silica. And that is going to cause silicosis. That's going to cause cancer. That's going to cause fibrotic lung disease, and those are language, those are words that they actually used in public meetings, in correspondences with agencies, and um, in workshops with with the public. Um, and so they, they, but ultimately, that one was disproven thanks to me and an industrial hygienist named John Kels, where we examined the PM10 and found that no, it wasn't silica at all. Um, that's not there. Um, and there's a geologic reason for that, um, that it basically it's, it's at the energy necessary to break silica particles or quartz particles into something as fine as PM10. That kind of energy just does not exist in the windblown environment at Oceana Dunes. Um, but, you know, it was, but the, 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 the accusation was laid out there for the community, and the Air District really turned the community against the park with all of these false claims. Yeah, no, that's, and you, so you said the sand there is like feldspar or something. It's not silica. Yeah. So, and, the, so, so, it, so again, these, these assumptions sound reasonable. It's like, yeah, sand quartz, that makes sense. But yep. if you actually looked at the mineralogy of the sand, most of the sand is composed of the mineral feldspar, which is an aluminosilicate that does not have, the free SiO2, the, it's not made of quartz, it's, it's aluminosilicate, and it's not going to break up into particles of silica. Um, and that's why we never detected it when we sampled the PM10. Um, okay. And ultimately, the Air District uh, admitted that, um, you know, they made these claims beginning in 2008, and they ultimately admitted that there was not a silica concern in the PM10. Um, in 2019, uh, more than 10 years uh, after they first made the accusation. Um, and I, I also but, want to say that the, the, silica, the, the silica claim was incorporated into real estate disclosure forms um, 
uh, for the Napoma Mesa real estate transactions. So there was actually forms that people had to fill out and say, oh, you know, there's right. a possibility of silica in the PM10 in this property you may be buying, which was a complete lie. Wow. And so for an agency to like acknowledge that that was incorrect, I mean, the damage is already done. I was at that meeting where everybody was was very incensed about the health risk. I mean, you had one side of the room who didn't care and the other side who was who had bought into the well, yeah, into if the you lie. you're going to get cancer because of this, it's going to scare some people. And yeah, so the hyping up the lie spread like a wildfire, but did they hype up the correction or did that get buried? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. They that that just was a quiet admission uh at the end of the year in 2019 at the end of a their standard public board meeting um and it was written in the back of a report um that was not a there was no apology there should have been an outright apology to my mind to state parks to that's still too nice i think we need to bring the stocks back and have like people with their like hands in there (laughs) and you're gonna throw tomatoes at them for an hour and make it a big public spectacle just so everybody knows hey this was wrong wrong. Uh, so i'm just kidding but if the other thing that I wanted to bring up, because you asked about, you know, how did how did this evolve? Also, when I started looking at this and thinking, OK, if it's from the dunes, that's one thing. But there's also this stuff. If you've ever been out to Oceano Dunes, particularly when the wind is blowing in the spring or the fall, and you look at anything that is stick, sticking up from the dunes, whether it's a post or a vehicle, an RV, what have you. Um, on the ocean side of that object, it's going to be coated with this makeup fine uh, material mm-hmm. that is basically, it's just, it's just this t- little, it's, I won't even call it grit because it's too fine, fine to call it grit, but it's this material that bombs onto the seaward side of, of things that are sticking up from the dunes. And this was really intriguing because to me, this pointed out that Things are coming directly from the ocean and not from the dunes that clearly get suspended in the air. And so I collected samples of this stuff and I looked at it under microscope and it was clear that this stuff, a lot of it was composed of little bits of plankton. Um, And that got me thinking, well, that means there's not just a source from Oceano Dunes and Alpari Vehicle Recreation. There's clearly something else contributing to the PM10 downwind of Oceano Dunes. And so that led me in a, a really kind of a, happen, a happy circumstantial way um, to the uh, Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Um, there, was a, there was a team that was looking at, um, uh, the, at, the, at Scripps, there was a team that was looking at plankton blooms that occur and how plankton blooms may cause cloud formation. And I was able to get this team assembled and appeal to them with the situation that I was dealing with and intrigue one of them enough to um, start an investigation. And that was Dr. Brian Palinick, who's a marine microbiologist. And um, uh, that's we, we started looking at the PM10. We collected uh, uh, water samples uh, off the you know off the coast. Um, and we collected samples of, of, of PM in the dunes and up on the mesa and then had it analyzed. And, and one of the specialties of uh, Dr. Kalanick is that he can identify different types of plankton based on DNA. And what he was able to determine was that the DNA of plankton that, or this is really phytoplankton, very, very small bits of plankton mm-hmm. or very small planktonic animals, um, he was able to identify a specific type of phytoplankton that was found in, that we collected in the ocean, that we collected in the surf, uh, and that we collected on a suspended in the air on a filter, but we did not collect it in the dunes. And so this identified for us that there is indeed another source that's contributing to PM10 uh, downwind. And so that's that was just one great first step to indicate. Clearly, this is not all from Oceano Dunes. 
Right. And you guys analyze that. And if I recall from your study, I mean, they were starting from the assumption that 100% of the particulate matter that was harmful in the air, they thought it was all dust, meaning silicon-based minerals blowing up from sand dunes that were dislodged by OHV tires. And what you guys found, there's a percentage, right? I mean, what is the percentage that is actually that mineral material that's possibly coming from the dunes? Great. Uh, you're you're cutting to the chase, which is fine. Um, you mentioned the com- the computer modeling that is done, and the regulatory actions that have happened. Um, and uh, there have been significant over the years a significant amount of regulatory actions, further uh, uh, blaming state parks for this particular pollution. And um, there's been a lot of computer modeling that has been done. Uh, to further lock in the quote-unquote scientific assumptions that um, the Air District and their uh, contracted scientists were conducting, um, those assumptions, uh, the computer modeling that they were doing, were, they, they, that computer modeling of particulate pollution dispersing from the dunes to the Napoma Mesa made a fundamental assumption that all of the PM10 is dust from the dunes. 100% of the PM10 is dust from the dunes. That's the basic assumption. And the only input uh, into their model is measurements of dust from the dunes. However, um, following on from our Scripps study um, that looked at plant that identified plankton as one source, um, that's when shortly after that. We had Dr. Russell, who is a atmospheric chemistry professor at Scripps, join the team, and we sampled over three years' time PM10, and specifically one we wanted to look at the amount of dust in the PM10 because it stood to reason that if the air district is blaming state parks for PM10 and they're saying that PM10 is all dust. If we determine that it's less than that, that, that that's that's what you know that that's a, a big thing to find out. And so, without going into too much detail here, I will say that at the end of three years, we determined that, on average, the amount of PM10 that uh, that is or or of the PM10 that's collected on the mesa, only 14% of it consists of dust. Uh, that's collected on the mesa, and importantly, it's ter- an important thing to remember on this is that because it's fourteen percent and that's collected regionally, that means that something less than fourteen percent dust actually comes from Oceano Dunes. Yeah. And, and long story short, here is that if it's only less than fourteen percent dust, and the Air District has been blaming state parks for dust creating PM ten on the mesa, it means the Air District has been wrong for all this time. And that would explain why, I mean, I think some of the, some of what was motivating your curiosity here was that state parks did spend a lot of money. I know they built all these fences that were supposed to kind of break up the, I mean, there were these long grids of fences that would allegedly just, I don't know, like pull the, the dust out of the air before it would blow further inland or whatnot. They had the bales of hay that were spread around to try to create probably to incentivize like vegetation growth. I mean, what there was all kinds of things they tried and it was not and every but then you look at the studies like nothing seems to be working. And there started to become this narrative of we don't think it's the dust or the OHVs. And as you pointed out, I mean, the the use of the the recreation use of the area has just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. But the PM10 particulate matter levels kind of stayed constant. And that was, that was another narrative that was fueling this exercise and discovery. Am I right? Yes. Uh, so as part of the ratcheting up of regulatory actions against state parks, um, the air district ultimately issued a stipulated order of abatement against state parks. And that part of that, uh, meant that state parks had to put in a variety of uh, quote-unquote mitigation measures um, to disrupt 
the wind flow over the dune surface because the assumption again is that okay the pm10 is dust from the dunes and the way dust gets generated and 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 dunes do generate dust and that process is a natural process called saltation where the wind simply blows over dunes and it moves sand grains, they, the sand grains bounce along the dune surface, and as they bounce, they dislodge smaller grains that are considered dust. And so those grains do get entrained in the air. Some of them continue downwind, and that's PM10. That's, that's part of the PM10. And so the only mechanism that they uh, were, was you, that they were using to, to lower PM10 on the mesa is are, were these measures, measurements or these measures to lessen the amount of movement of the sand dunes. And so they covered over the sand dunes with hay bales or vegetation, or they put this plastic fencing in rows and rows and rows on the dunes to disrupt the wind flow um, so that the, the, the saltation process was disrupted. But given the Scripps findings that it's something less than 14% of the PM10 is dust from Oceano dunes, that means all those measurements, all the, excuse me, all those measures that were taken to, for plastic fences, hay bales, vegetation plantings, that they're for not. They're, they're not going to do anything uh, to, to affect PM10 on the Mesa. And the amount of money that has been spent to date on these various measures and on the computer modeling that has been conducted and on the quote-unquote experts uh, that are contracted by the Air District, uh, they're known as the Scientific Advisory Group. The amount of money that's been spent on that has been over $25.2 million to date and counting. And the so that, so yeah, that's, that's, that's one very, very upsetting aspect of this whole process. Right. And it, and then in hindsight to me, this is the thing that kind of just gets under my skin the most with this stuff is we've heard, I've heard a similar argument about dust in Moab. Like there's kind of this narrative going on where they are saying that OHV use of trails in Moab is causing so much dust emissions downwind that it's blowing well, onto the rocky mountains and accelerating every plan they they yeah cite something about the dust and so i go to moab and i get you get on top of some of these high overlooks and you're looking down and on a map if you zoom this map in it does look like there's a heavy trail density in this moab area but you get out on this landscape that's really at the scale of hundreds of thousands of acres and that little trail is like a hairline you could barely see it and so to assume that that the disturbance of that trail is causing enough dust emission to melt the snow of the colorado rocky mountain range is just so far-fetched to me and when i saw this and they're saying this little eighteen thousand acre sand dune area is creating all this dust emission i'm not from california so i come there and i get close to the ocean and it's just like noticeable to me that there's this haze in the air as soon as you get to the coastline because the the ocean is massive and for there to be water vapor and the particulate matter that's coming out of it which you've identified as certain phytoplankton and i'm assuming it's like they're they're not living or are they alive still or is it the like their shells <laughs> the the uh, phytoplankton for the most parts are bits of the plankton so they're not no longer living um uh, but there's and there's also sea salt. That, that's a significant portion. I mean, there's been measurements upwards uh, and beyond 25 percent of the PM10 as being sea salt. Yeah. Um, and so and the thing that's maddening uh, with this particular situation, I do want to talk about Utah because I think more broadly, this is a, a great thing to segue into um, with regard to PM10. The thing that's maddening with state parks is is they have simply they they have not stood up for themselves. You mentioned the other entities that have been fighting this, like mm -hmm. Friends of Ocean. They have essentially been taking on the fights that are state parks as fights and working not as unpaid mercenaries essentially for state parks and being very successful at it. Um, 
because and it's 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 frustrating that state parks is not uh, taking up this fight. But if you think about the issue with fourteen uh, percent dust, and that the air district has been saying all along that dust is causing the high PM ten. This is the time for state parks to say, okay, thank you very much. We're done with you. You clearly don't understand the complexity of the situation. And we, further, we clearly are not the cause of this. That's what state parks needs to say. At 14%, you can't say that this is hanging on state parks' uh, head. This is, this is just not true. And, and it should not be state parks' responsibility uh, to uh, accept the the inaccuracies of the air district. The air district has never figured out the complexity of the air quality issues down in the South County of San Luis Obispo County. Um, they just never have sorted it out. But it's clearly not the fault of state parks or Oceana Dunes or OHE recreation. And uh, and but the, and now the latest. Uh, claim that the air district is making and state parks is going along with they're saying well you know pm10 is a is a measurement that that we're responsible for all of it now they're saying we're we're the, the air district saying well you're responsible for all of it and state parks is so far going along with that and that's why i say when they spent 25.2 million dollars and counting that's why it's counting <laughs> it's because they're so, not enough is enough. so what's next? If it's plankton, are we going to just, I, I have some ideas. We could have a whale farm of like baleen whales out swimming around in the ocean, filtering all the plankton out and eating it. Um, can we do well, that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just well, messing around, it, but it's like. No, no, no. But it, that's, it's, that, it is a fascinating, for scientifically, it's fascinating because I, this, this is a little geeking out, but, but offshore from Oceana Dunes, the setting is so perfect for upwelling in the, uh, the, the upwelling currents to occur that, a lot, that lead to plankton blooms. And that leads to a lot abundance of, of sea life, including whales. In fact, whales are there right now as a result of all the plankton that are there and the resultant fish that, are, that show up also to eat the plankton. So we should be, I mean, that's how, that's how what I've always assumed was like plankton is a net good for the ocean. And if that's what's also causing the pollution here, then maybe we just learn to live with it and assume well, that the and, environmental and, benefits of having plankton emissions. And yeah, I I don't know where well, they go and, from and, here. And, if it's not the and, dust and the OHVs, I don't know what their solution is. And then think about sea salt in the air. I mean, how many how many times have you heard, oh, I love that sea salt in the air? And it's it's actually healthy for you. And it's med and it's registered as PM part of PM ten. Uh, you know, and it's like, well, why is that? Clearly, the that's why I get going back to what I said about PM10 working surrogate for a particular constituent of concern. That's what's important here is to identify, well, is this truly a concern or not? And Dr. Lynn Russell from Scripps looked at this stuff and said, there's nothing in the PM10 that is going to cause health concerns, uh, certainly nothing akin to black carbon in a rail yard or a shipping, you know, a, a, right. a, a shipping harbor. Um, and, uh, but again, state parks is not kind of, is not standing up to this kind of reason or using this kind of reason to defend itself and its public lands. And it's very frustrating. Right. And that probably has to do with, that's not like the thing that kind of got really piqued my interest about this whole case when I first got introduced to it was it feels kind of like agency on agency violence. You usually don't have two agencies of the same administrative state fighting each other legally. You might see a state agency go after a federal agency because those are different governments, different administrations, different political systems that elect those people into those positions and then result in all the hiring. But here you have like both the state park director and the director of the air quality control board, don't they all answer to the governor at the end of the day? So the, or isn't the air, or is the air quality control board independent kind of like the fed? I forget. So the air districts, the, all the different air districts within California, they are uh, somewhat independent 
Uh, they have their own, they have standardized testing that has to be done regarding air quality um, that is consistent between every agency. And they provide that information to the California Air Resources Board, which compiles that and uh, enables distribution of that data. For instance, you can look up uh, PM10 measurements uh, from San Luis Obispo County from specific locations, uh, where their instruments are using a California Air Resources Board website. Um, but they basically function you know, independent of California Air Resources Board. Their, their equipment is audited by CARB, Air Resources Board, um, but they, they are their own entity, um, as best as I understand it. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of an interesting expression of the administrative state, which always kind of feels like a hydra. It's got all these heads and, and then they just start, sometimes they bite each other. Um, well, I, I, I will, I will say that the air resources board, the state board has very much defended um, the air district that you can, you can consider it a parental agency overlooking the, the child agency of the San Luis Obispo County air pollution control district. And they're very much defending them. And they're very much in opposition to this information that has been released from Dr. Russell. And, and I should say that we did this study. Um, we came, we reported this over three years time regularly to the state parks and to the off-highway vehicle commission of state parks. And ultimately we came out with a report that was published in a scientific journal, atmospheric environment, peer reviewed journal. Um, and that's something that the air district never did. Um, the thing that's that's kind of crazy, if you go back to my discussion about silica in the air mm-hmm. and then think about their claims regarding dust, they made these claims based on assumptions and they never stopped to test those assumptions. So they made the claim about silica and they did admit they did not admit that silica was not a concern until we sampled the PM10 and found there was no silica in it. And they never did that. They never did their due diligence. And, and they claimed the PM10 was from dust coming from the dunes. And even they then, never stopped to actually test the PM10 to determine how much dust was in the PM10. They never did that. We did. Right. And, and now they're backpacking. And it took you a court action to get them to even recognize it, right? So uh, there have been many court actions uh, with regard to Oceano Dunes. Most of those have been filed by Friends of Oceano Dunes, and most of those, if not all of them, have been successful uh, by by Friends of Oceano Dunes. Um, Regarding silica or dust and a court action, there's been nothing like that. Um, That would be wonderful if there was. That would be state parks actually standing up to defend the public land and the public recreation, but they're not doing that at present. But what was the recent, there was a recent court victory that I thought was somewhat connected to oh, your yeah. study. So uh, Friends of Oceana Dunes, this was, this gets a little convoluted, but Friends of Oceana Dunes um, filed a, uh, a lawsuit uh, in its most basic terms of the, the lawsuit was that, that the Coastal Commission in a decision they made in March of 2021, they said, we're going to uh, uh, disallow off-highway vehicle recreation at Oceana Dunes. They, they can no longer operate OHVs at Oceana Dunes come 2024. And, okay. um, and, that, and that camping is no longer, it's going to be significantly restricted. And friends, uh, again, took that fight uh, legally um, to the local court and, and, the local court um, found in favor of Friends of Ocean Dunes and found that that the Coastal Commission had exceeded its authority, and that was a, a huge victory, um, given the court setting that it was a local court. Um, but it was also something I think a lot of people on either side of this issue were happy about because it was the Coastal Commission basically being put back in its place where they've continued to exert more and more authority that they don't have, um, the court ruled against them. And that was a huge victory. And circumstantial to all of that, um, 
is some of this some of these air quality claims that the air the coastal commission has um used all of the air quality claims uh, from the local air district against oceana dunes and basically parroted those claims in their own documents saying well we think there's damage to the environment from the o2 recreation but there's also this quote-unquote health concern caused by pm10 and we know that because the air district is telling us that in fact there's a 2017 document from the coast commission that says there's silica in the pm10 and you have to get rid of it yeah it's just it's it's they just parroted exactly what the air district told them to say yeah uh, and so that so the, the the air quality stuff is is peripheral to the coast commission's fight to close down oceano dunes uh, and they're happy to use whatever they can um, but the Friends of Oceana Dunes legal fighting was was fantastic to just basically, uh, you know, give a, a pretty significant blow to the Coast Commission and its assumption of authorities. Yeah, no, I agree. That was a big win. And I, like, it seems like everyone thought this was over a few years ago. And that, I, mean, I remember talking to someone like this is just going to be an endangered species. You're not going to be able to recreate like this there anymore. But now it feels like there is a path forward. There's, you still are having to get these agencies to recognize error, admit fault, step up and take responsibility. And that's always a very difficult task. At the end of the day, the whole, what I think is like the biggest top level issue here is you work with these administrative branch agencies and they all kind of operate on the assumption that we can make informed decisions based off of the best available science. This goes back to Teddy Roosevelt and some of the real like forefathers, create founding fathers of the administrative state that we have, these agencies that we have today. Best available science is such a hard standard. It's my experience is it's not always the best. It's not always available, but it sure gets used fast if it's if it's compliant with and advances some sort of preferred agenda of one constituency and then setting the record straight is always such a difficult effort and i mean it seems clear to me at this point that the pm10 standard probably isn't the right standard to be measuring at oceano dunes um there there I, I will say, forgive me for interrupting, but this one I just I have to jump on. There is no issue with regard to Oceano Dunes. The Air District made a claim. That claim has turned out to be false. Um, and so there's no, no, with regard to particulate pollution and PM10 measured on the Poma Mesa, it has nothing to do with off-highway vehicle recreation. It has nothing to do with Oceano Dunes. The air district never sorted out the complexity of the air quality in that area. They simply pointed the finger of blame at state parks and Oceana Dunes and OHU recreation without ever understanding the issue. And so we need to back up and say, thanks very much, but we're not in this at, at all anymore. And uh, speaking as state parks, you know, you, you've sorted out yourselves, but we're done. Um, but that, how do you that, force them to be better at this? Because it seems like just as somebody who's really on the outside of this, if silicon based minerals in the air at a higher at a size level of the PM10 is, is a threat and it does cause all these health concerns, then that's the thing you measure. That's the thing you go look for. That's the thing you get 100% certain about. And they didn't do that. And well, but then they still were 100% certain enough to have fear mongered the public into believing it. That's where I think that's where your concern, I think, comes from with the loss of the public funds here. So where my concern comes from is that they're taking away the public benefit of a recreation amenity all over something that they didn't actually go prove through hard science the claim they were making. They did it through what I, I think the model based assumption based science is it starts getting in soft science territory and but the narrative was very certain and the level of certainty in that narrative that they were peddling did not match the quality of the science that was backing it up. And how to other, other than lawsuits and other people stepping up to the plate with 
different approach. I mean, what you guys did to me was an exercise in the scientific method is we're proving slash disproving a claim. But once you start connecting these scientific findings to political agendas, the incentives get so weird on that. And if you hadn't kind of forced your way into this, they would have, they would still be telling that story today. And so I think it's really, really dangerous that we go and enact public policies that cost millions. If you're looking at economic impact and benefit, we're talking hundreds of millions. That's a lot of power to delegate to people based on something that it, it don't, like you guys proved them wrong. I like anyway, it's just one of the big fundamental concerns well, I have with just administrative states in general and the science based policy. Let me say that this agency, the slow APCD, is an outlier in my experience. These guys have just made claims that have proven to be false, and they've been reluctant to admit that their claims have been lies or at least incorrect. Um, there are other uh, air pollution control districts that are cooperative, that do want to look at something and say, oh, yeah, we're looking at PM10, and we realize that most of the PM10 that is measured is sea salt, and therefore we're not concerned about it. And they explain that in writing to, they, they, they send their reports to the California Air Resources Board, and the Air Resources Board says, okay, great, no problem. We don't have a violation here. Or they'll make a claim that says, this is a naturally occurring phenomenon. So, for example, you could have high PM10 from an earth from a from a volcanic eruption or from a forest fire, um, and you, that can then be blamed on a naturally occurring phenomenon or natural phenomenon. The air district could do that. This, in this case, high PM10, they would be well served to simply make the claim. The air district down at San Luis Obispo County would be well served to simply make the claim. This high PM10 is the result of a natural phenomenon. The winds blow. We don't, we thought it was dust. It turns out it's only 14% dust. We don't fully understand what's going on. It might be a problem with the, the high humidity in the environment down there, and as well as our instruments and how they work in humid, in, in humid environments. Um, but we don't fully understand it. And so what we're going to do is claim this as a naturally a natural phenomenon, which makes perfect sense. But they're not doing that because they want to blame state parks. And when they blame state parks, the local air, the local air district down there is an enterprise operation independent of the county umbrella. They are an enterprise operation, meaning they charge fees and they um, assess fines that go into their own coffers um, so they can enrich themselves. I'm not saying that's their primary function, but that's how it's set up to work, that they can, when they, when they charge fees and when they assess fines, it goes into their uh, account and not the county account for delegation to their uh, operating budget. And, and so there's a kind of a crazy incentive that's set up that, that, you know, is, is almost, um, what's the term I'm looking for? It's just, it's, 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 it's just a crazy setup. It yeah, but it's be. not unexpected because um, the incentive for science mm -hmm. should just be like the pursuit of truth, right? I mean, that's the in its most ideal form. We just want to understand the observable no world. As soon as you start connecting it to a outcome of a political agenda, where regardless of what that is, and it's and it's something that's being administered and analyzed and put to use to inform policy on agencies that have funding incentives and ideological incentives and all these things, all of a sudden that pure quest for knowledge and the pursuit of truth becomes something else entirely. And that doesn't mean that they, there aren't agencies that maintain some integrity and get it right. And, and I think that the ones that defer to like what you just described, say this is naturally occurring phenomenon. We don't know. We certainly don't know enough to be destabilizing very other important things such as like the economy in the area and the human benefit and the human interest. And 
the burden is now on the public to go find any evidence to the contrary and we'll consider it. But it seems like they started with this predetermined outcome of their any, and we could debate that all day and we probably had to wrap this up. And so I want to give you kind of a final word here. Um, one thing I like about what you've done is you kind of just noticed that, that the incentives were weird. We weren't getting the truth, the truth. You went out pursuing it and you found certainly a better version of it, something that had more data at least to back it up. And now that has been inserted into the public debate. It's having an impact. What's happening in Oceano Dunes is happening everywhere. I talked about Moab. We have situations up in Montana right now where we are having courts tell the Forest Service that even roads that are closed are causing grizzly bears to not want to reproduce. And they, and it's like, what? I, have, I can go find 100 videos on the internet of grizzly bears walking down roads and you're telling me that roads the existence of a road in their habitat is is more devastating to their species than the actual destruction of their habitat we actually have them saying that in court records yeah and so this pervasive use of ideologically driven science some agenda driven outcome driven is really polluting that's the biggest form of pollution, I think, <laughs> uh, out there in the ecosystem, at least for those of us who are trying to influence and debate and and have a role to play in these discussions. So, so I look at what you guys did and I'm like, man, why isn't there more of this? Why isn't the funding going to this? Instead, we probably had all this money going to building the goofy plastic fences and the hay bales. Why can't we put funding towards actually understanding the truth? And so that's what I want to maybe let you end on is how do we get more of you out doing what you did? Uh, well, I, I will say first that, that this story is a fascinating story of investigation and discovery. It, if it wasn't for the, the, the uh, hostility of the air district and this dysfunction between the air district and the state parks, Scientifically, it would just be a fantastic thing to sort out. Uh, and to me, that was very fun. And also to me, it was very important. And there was a time where State Parks was allowing me to investigate this so that we could get to the bottom of it. Because they, they looked at me and they saw me scratching my head and saying, this does not make sense scientifically. And they said, okay, sort it out. And I was grateful that they were they allowed me to do that because that led to my collaboration with Scripps, with Dr. Brian Palahniuk, with Dr. Lynn Russell. And we got to the story at the end of the day that, oh, there's only less than 14% dust of the PM10 that comes from Ocean Dunes, which means there's not a problem. The big frustration in all of this is, is that State Parks just wants the Scripps report the Scripps information to simply die a quiet death. They are not touting this. They're not grabbing the study and waving it around saying these guys are wrong and we're, we're going to leave our stipulated order of abatement and we're going to sue them for the $25 million that they've cost, cost us. They're not doing that. And that's why I am speaking out is because I worked hard to do right by state parks and all I got was the cancellation of my contract at the beginning of 2022. Um, I want that $25.2 million to be recognized as a financial waste. And hopefully uh, the state parks is able to recoup that. Um, and it is using science, uh, which is great that I could use science to explain this, but it's a difficult story to tell because it is detailed and there there are some complexities uh, that have to be sorted out and hopefully the public understands those complexities so that they get to the realization that this is just not right. And um, that motivates me. That's why I was doing the work. That's why I'm continuing to spread the word about the work we did. Uh, and that's why I'm talking to you. 
Well, we appreciate it. And we'll do what we can to make sure everybody knows about the Scripps report and that it doesn't die a silent death. Uh, we'll make sure our members know about it. Uh, this podcast will help publicize it. Maybe we need to like make a t-shirt about it or something. We need to popularize this script study and, and the story of what happened. I agree. I think that what happened here was important. We need to learn from it. I, I, with you, I would like to see the national park or the state park get their money back. And let's use it. If we're going to be spending public funds on improving our environment, let's, let's make sure we're investing the right amount into understanding that. And so that we're not making these misinformed half-baked decisions. So if I could add one, two two more things. Um, One, Dr. Lynn Russell will be presenting to the San Luis Obispo County Air Pollution Control District Board on uh, uh, September 27th, beginning at 7 a.m. And I can send you a link how that can be viewed um, if if that's something that that people you you may may be able to relay that information. Um, But that's going to be very important. There are there is. The, the board is almost split 50-50 in terms of four state parks against the, the agenda-driven Air Pollution Control District staff. And it was a very um, shrewd member of the board uh, who asked for a motion to have Dr. Russell present uh, at this upcoming meeting. And the Air District uh, staff was very noticeably reluctant to have that happen, but it is going to happen. She's on the agenda uh, for her presentation. And so I think it would help for people to, um, t- to help understand this. It would help to see her presentation. Yeah. Um, we would love the link. We'll put it in the show notes for this. We'll put it in our newsletter where we promote the podcast so that people attend that. We'll, have Simone attend. Um, Simone had to actually leave partway through the interview. That's why she kind of got really quiet all of a sudden. Um, It wasn't that she wasn't participating. So sorry if it looks like she wasn't as present during the second half of this interview, but um, she texted me and had something come up. So that's okay. She usually, so she'll have some, she'll generally attend those virtual meetings if she can. And, um, I appreciate you taking the time to publicize this will help amplify your voice because uh, that's an important part of this as well as we need our users to be informed on these things. And I, I went to the meetings and I was meeting with the off-road crowd and you'd meet guys that you didn't think were going to come up and start talking to you about particulate matter air quality standards, but they did. They are internalizing this information and trying to understand it and trying to be a voice for reason and truth and getting this right. And so I think you do have a good community here backing you up and we will do what we can to continue doing that. Um, Thank you. The the community is very good. They're very informed. Uh, You know, when I mentioned uh, uh, micrograms of per cubic meter of air, I didn't think anyone was going to follow me and and they follow, they know what I mean. Um, It's very, they're very, very informed. Yeah, that's been my experience. And so, uh, hopefully in the long run, truth prevails because I think that's what's really at stake here is making good decisions based on the actual facts and the truth of what's happening. We appreciate you and everything you've done to uncover that. We need more like you. Uh, we need more minds looking at these things and asking the questions of the scientific positions that are being taken because they're my experience with these is there's always room for scrutiny. That's what I found with the tiger beetles and coral pink sand dunes is there was one guy who was like the expert of coral pink sand dune tiger beetles. I read all his studies and it was a lot of, I mean, he's, he's informed. He has interesting theories and hypotheses of what are going on, but he'd be the first one to say, I'm not hundred percent certain on any of it. He changed his standards halfway through the 10 year study of how he was counting population levels. And that means we just have to account for that. There, that means there isn't certainty here. That means we're looking at this completely differently than we were five years ago. That's my kind of scientist. Yeah, that's, which is fine. That's okay. That's yeah. advancing toward the truth. But if that's the process, then we probably ought to hit the brakes about making really conclusive, decisive, long-term policy decisions on that basis. And sometimes, and And if you're looking for certainty, I usually don't find it with my scientific friends, but my friends that are in politics... There's a lot of it there. 
and uh, so you got to be careful. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, anyway, well, I appreciate your time. Um, we're going to wrap this up. If you guys haven't subscribed to the Defend Your Ground podcast, if you're a listener, we'd love to have you be a subscriber. We'll continue to. If you're somebody like uh, Will Harris here that has a great scientific background on these issues, we'd love to have you as a guest so that we're actually getting into the meat of what's informing these decisions. And, Will, thank you so much for your time and for the time and effort you've put into this issue. And we hope for even if it takes time that we get a good outcome out of this area and that better allocation of resources, better decisions being made. And I hope you rest assured that that was partly because of what you did. Um, you were someone who did come into this and made an impact and that's very impressive and we appreciate it. Thank you, Ben and Simone. Uh, I, uh, you're welcome. Uh, and I'm grateful that you give, have given me this opportunity uh, to speak with you guys. Um, so very much, uh, I very much appreciate the chance to spread the word on this. It's super important. And uh, you guys will be a big uh, part of that. Thank you.